just to say a few words here before getting into our sermon and, and praying for that. I just want to share a few words and, and bring you up to speed a little bit regarding Josh Carpenter's internship and such. So we've celebrated just recently, I mean, uh, just last Sunday, uh, with our brother Pastor Jeff and how God has led him to uh, be senior pastor over at Browns Valley Christian Church. And today, as uh, Curtis mentioned, Jeff is preaching there for the first time as their pastor. And we're certainly going to pray for him uh, as we lead into the service here as well. You know, Pastor Jeff and I and Kelly and Shelly, we started talking back in January um, and about how the Lord had been preparing him for senior pastor ministry. And uh, around and, and so that involved kind of a lot of it was Pastor Jeff kind of looking for that confirmation, it being something that he desired, it being something that, that he sensed, but he really kind of felt like, but am I uh, kind of elevating myself by, by pursuing this? And it was a lot of uh, encouragement from us and eventually encouragement from the shepherd team as we informed them about it and, and encouragement from you all as we informed the congregation about it that, yeah, indeed, uh, this is something that we have seen God preparing you for and, and if not assuming at all. Um, in fact, you're, if anything, uh, taking on senior pastor ministry is uh, kind of uh, like uh, taking on a lot of headaches if you're not called to it. So, you know, the old adage is if you could, the first test is if you could do anything but pastor, do that. That's not because it's... Um, it's uh, too rigorous or anything like that. It's that um, if you can do anything but pastor, you're probably not called to be a pastor. And Jeff certainly has followed that advice and continues to pastor and certainly transitioned into senior pastor ministry. So around late March, you know, I get to kind of know the workings of, in the background of, of a lot of things that are going on. Around late March... Uh, Josh and I, as, as we've had a mentoring relationship in regards to uh, preaching and such, um, Josh started seeking my advice and thoughts on his feeling called to pastoral ministry, to vocational ministry, and, and, and uh, being a pastor at a church. And, and you know, for... For me, that's, it was really an encouraging thing to kind of let Josh know. And similarly to, as we encourage Jeff regarding being a senior pastor, kind of telling Josh the same thing. Um, I think you're kind of the last one to the party here. Because, you know, every time you've, you've preached, every time you've been involved in ministry, I keep hearing from other people, man, that guy should really think about being a pastor. And so that has been a very encouraging thing. So we, we began to discuss the, the possibility, the likelihood. Of course, it would require a, a um, agreement of, on the part of all the shepherds and also um, seeing a unity of the Spirit among Harvest. Now, we began to discuss a 12-month internship with Harvest. And at that time, I was not even sharing with Josh of how I knew that God was leading in Jeff's life. Um, 
and certainly there was different groups of people that we wanted to inform at different times and and um, uh, wait, waiting for the right point in that process. And Josh was pretty amazed, if you asked him. He was pretty amazed when I shared with him, you know, Pastor Jeff is actually starting to transition away from harvest. And uh, it, it's both of us, as well as the shepherd team, wondered, uh, what's God doing here? So what, what we have developed since then, if, if I, you recall that I mentioned that originally we were looking at a 12-month pastoral internship in which we sought to give Josh the opportunity to develop in all areas of pastoral ministry with the anticipation that the Lord might lead Josh anywhere. Uh, maybe, um, you know, Waynetown Baptist needs a pastor right now, um, and uh, different ones of these positions open up. But over prayer and, and over the course of discussion, um, we, uh, and really hearing from confirmation from a number of you as we would share uh, independently, seeking, again, that uh, unity of the Spirit that the Lord might be providing, uh, as people would ask, so what, what are we going to do about another pastor? Are we, is there some plan? Is there something going on? And, and we would just kind of share, well, we can tell you that uh, Josh Carpenter is going to start doing a 12-month internship. And I cannot tell you how many of you responded with, you know what? That is exactly who I was thinking would be good. Like uncanny. Um, and the, the, my fellow shepherds can attest to that as well. So over time, we've we've decided to shift this focus of Josh's internship from a 12-month general pastoral internship to a six-month uh, internship um, and, and more so of kind of like a courtship, if you will, both to allow Josh to get experience with pastoral ministry, but also for, for us to prayerfully pursue um, the possibility of Josh serving here um, as um, the next uh, full-time associate pastor. So we, we share that with you to, to ask for you to be praying with that and also to share too. I mean, it's very unusual for a church to be able to uh, move in this way of sending out a very capable pastor and kind of turning around and saying, hey, the Lord's kind of been preparing someone here. But we want to make sure and communicate that Josh and Jeff are different people. Can anybody notice that? <laughs> and, and with that, this is not some sort of intention of trying to replace Pastor Jeff or scurrying, hurrying to fill that spot or something like that. We as shepherds have really been in awe, and I think the carpenters have been in awe of this as well, of how it really seems like the Lord has pulled this together. Um, you know, I talk about I usually know what's kind of going on in the background uh, more than other people. Well, nobody knows as much as the Lord does of what's going on in the background. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I really believe that the, the best application of taking the Lord's name in vain is saying that something is of the Lord when you don't know or think that it's of the Lord, um, putting his stamp on it when he hasn't put his stamp on it. 
Um, so Josh is going to continue to grow as an expositor of God's word. He's going to continue to lead his small group. Uh, as I know many of you have been blessed uh, by his and Brittany's ministry in that way. And Josh also has a very strong heart for ministering to students as well as parents of Harvest. A number of you as parents of teenagers are actually in Josh and Brittany's small group, and that's kind of a, a neat opportunity there. And so Josh is going to be taking on originally uh, from the start the teaching role uh, of the high school group at Surge on Sunday nights, and, and we'll transition into leading the whole of that ministry. And we're just we're excited about that because uh, while an internship needs to be really intern-focused, it needs to be focusing on the needs for that in, where that intern needs to grow and stuff like that, more of a staff position is about, okay, but what are the needs at Harvest? And um, we just have already started to see the Lord leading in a way that both of those can be um, already be start to be met in this way. Because, you know, as Pastor Jeff has done an excellent yeoman's work in student ministry, uh, it's very important to us. We, we love our students. We love our families. We want to make sure that we are um, putting our, our best effort into that. And so, you know, especially for you students, too, I know that we can get attached to somebody, and it can kind of feel odd to have somebody else teaching all of a sudden. Um, but uh, we really believe that the Lord is a part of this and, and leading, and, and uh, we're, we're ready to be gracious with Josh along that way uh, as he grows and develops as well. But I appreciate you uh, listening to my rambling up here about this, but we as leadership just kind of want to share with you kind of where this is at and um, also to ask you to be praying uh, for the Lord's direction of harvest um, into the future. And we're just a future that we're very excited about. So as we uh, wrap that up and come into our sermon time, let's bow our heads together. Father God, we um, are so grateful for your word. Uh, Lord, there are so many competing philosophies of life. There are so many... Uh, competing values and worldviews that we are confronted by, that um, it is so easy to, to drift down the stream uh, and feel like we're okay because everybody else is doing the same. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your son Jesus, that unashamedly and pointedly spoke with authority, the authority of one for whom all things have been made and through whom all things have been made, the designer. Um, Lord, and, and um, we just recognize, as John 1 tells us, in Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. Lord, we pray for Pastor Jeff this morning at Browns Valley. We pray, Lord God, that you would allow him to preach with boldness. Pray, Lord God, that you would guide him by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that any um, insecurity or, or um, fleshly concerns would just fall by the wayside as he loves you and loves those people um, and furthers your kingdom, Father. We pray for great fruit in the ministry there as Jeff equips the saints for the work of ministry. 
Lord God, we thank you for uh, Josh's internship. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your uh, clear leading through this process, Father. Uh, we must be really dense or something because uh, you have um, done a lot of work here to make uh, this clear for us, Father, and we are so grateful for that. And uh, Father, we pray that you would teach us here from your word. Allow us, Father, to have an understanding of your truth and um, the power uh, that comes with living our lives by it. Lord, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've never been, oh, let, let me say first, uh, this is our final message on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. Uh, here at the end of chapter 7, and uh, this we have looked at this as the standards of the kingdom, and I'm going to resist the temptation, especially with my uh, long introduction here, I'm going to resist the temptation of kind of reviewing back over much of the Sermon on the Mount, you're welcome, um, but so much of those standards of the kingdom had have had to do with what is the standard by which a person is going to be measured if they are going to enter into God's kingdom? Uh, or what is the standard by which uh, those who are a part of God's kingdom uh, that, they, that our growth should be measured by? Uh, really, um, all this, this audience coming to Jesus to hear his teaching, this is the first of, of several discourses or teaching times in the book of Matthew that we are, have highlighted that the king is here and he is uh, fixing the standards that people have been living by. And so much of those standards have been, what do the scribes say? What do the Pharisees say? What, how am I doing with regard to the law of Moses? How am I doing with regard to my neighbor or those bad Gentiles and things like that? And Jesus has been over these chapters really laying out, this is God's standard. And this, these haven't been laid out so that we can try to meet that standard and therefore earn righteousness. But certainly uh, for the person that has not trusted Christ as their Savior, these standards are to be understood as being insurmountable, really unachievable. Or as Romans 3.23 tells us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of that standard of the glory of God. But certainly, Jesus, for those of us who have walked with him and know Christ as our Savior, these standards stand as those that we can stop and say, okay, that's where God wants me to grow. That's what God has in mind. You know, I've never been to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. When I, thought, when I was a kid, I thought it was the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Um, but I understand it's pretty impressive. It was built back in the 1100s, and it began leaning just a short time after it was starting to be built. It's built with white marble, so you can imagine how heavy this tower is. Three levels into the eight levels, so it's eight levels high, just less than half of the way through the process of building this tower, it began to lean. Um, and this would have been uh, um, in the, in the uh, 1200s around and. You have to wonder if those some of those first visitors at that time uh, had, you know, a sketch artist there drawing them as they were like 
positioning themselves to see if they could, you know, look like they were holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa, because apparently that's, that is uh, what tourists like to do. Uh, I probably would do that too. Has anybody uh, been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa and taken one of those pictures? All right, you, nobody wants to admit it. Um, hey, there you go. Good. Um, I'm surprised you didn't, like, get it pushed back over there, John, as strong as you are. Uh, so it is in uh, Pisa, Italy, if you didn't know that, which for me, I understand why it, it, they call it or, or why it leaned in the first place, knowing it's in Italy, because it's italic. So, yeah, it's not even Dad Joke Sunday, but uh, some of those kind of sneak up on you which is kind of the, the uh, requirement for something being a dad joke. But, of course, the Leaning Tower of Pisa uh, uh, leans because soon after it was built, the foundation started to settle, and it started to settle in an uneven way. Its foundation settled because the ground that it was built on was too soft. It was inconsistent. It wasn't bedrock. And it wasn't built in such a way as we do houses. You know, we can't build houses all the time on bedrock. So we have to dig down deep enough and put down enough concrete and uh, make it, it uh, make the ground underneath it as consistent as we can and make that bed of concrete or those concrete walls on footings make it so much that if the house, when the house settles, it's going to settle evenly. And they didn't do that right with the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so by the 8th, uh, by the time they got the eighth level up there, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty much an engineering marvel because they, five of those levels were added after it had leaned and a, as it was continuing to lean. This is similar, this foundation issue, this this building something on on soft ground, ground that's softer than it needs to be. It's similar to the issue to our passage today. And I want to ask you, what are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? Jesus wraps up his sermon with this encouragement about standing on the truth that he has taught over the course of it. So we pick up in verse 24 of Matthew 7 and we read where Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. In other words, successful home, <laughs> right? I mean, with the storms that we've had this summer, nobody's house fell over, right? I mean, that's, that's like it's doing its job. Jesus also wraps up his sermon with these warnings against disregarding his teachings. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Then uh, chapter 7 here concludes with Matthew's statement about how Jesus' teachings impacted the crowd. We read in verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority 
and not as their scribes. So first I want to encourage you here this morning, as Jesus does, build your life on Jesus and you'll weather the storm. Build your life on Jesus and you will weather the storm. Factual knowledge, how many verses you've memorized, your ability to pronounce the name Mephibosheth, these mean nothing if they do not lead to obedience. And let me, let me say, they mean nothing if they haven't led to obedience and that obedience being the fruit of a relationship with God through Christ, evidenced by his Holy Spirit at work in your life. James warns of the same sort of danger among his readers. In James 1, 22 through 23, you can read, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in, at his natural face in the mirror. And he goes on to talk about, and then he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. You know what that looks like in everyday life? Eh, you know, I, I, keep, I read God's word and it doesn't make any difference in my life. Or I tried that. It, it, it really didn't work. As if God is to blame. Or God's teaching is to blame. And uh, both Matthew and James are getting across here. Um, God's not the problem. God's word is not the problem. And if that's where, you're, where, where you arrive, um, you need to be concerned about not just life, but your eternal destiny. Why do I say that? Well, the context of what Jesus is teaching here is the judgment day before Christ, when we all of uh, mankind will stand before Christ. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, which we looked at uh, last week, Jesus said, he told us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, meaning, meaning, Oh, you're my Lord, you're my Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the ones, the one who does my will, the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The ultimate storm that we need to be concerned with weathering is the judgment of Christ. That's the context of what we're being told here. Jesus teaches that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that no one is going to be able to stand before God. No one is going to be able to enter into a relationship with God except through Jesus. Jesus presents himself as the bread of life, the light of the world, the door to God's sheepfold. He tells us to enter through the narrow gate of the gospel and expect that following him can be hard at times. Jesus displays God's love, God's love for us in his death. As Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 6 through 9, while we were still sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that. God died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That is what is a firm foundation that weathers the judgment on the judgment day. So to build your life on Jesus is to believe his teachings and live by them, placing total trust in him. And Jesus tells us here that evidence of a true follower of Christ, those who will not be cast away from him in in judgment, goes beyond knowing just what he taught. Truly following Jesus is evidenced by our doing, by our living by what Jesus taught. And the true disciple of Jesus will be able to stand in judgment before the Lord like a house that is able to stand in a torrential storm built on a firm foundation. Similar to that house, the obedient follower of Christ will be able to stand in judgment. You know, I remember the uh, first time I ever went to the Payne's house. This would have been uh, uh, over 11 years ago. Um, uh, I can remember uh, Rick explaining the process of building the house's foundation. And he's, and he's kind of like, there's no footings in this house because it's built on bedrock. And we dug down and there was the bedrock. So we built the house on that. And um, so I remember the statement you made, Rick, and it was, so if this house ever moves, we're all in trouble. Because it's probably, there's been a, a colossal earthquake that's gone on if that house was to move. If you have built your life, your hope of salvation on the person and work of Jesus, trusting and obeying him, you can rest assured that your eternity is rock solid. That's what we are being told here. And the flip side of this truth is that there's a broad way, as Jesus told us. There's a narrow way with a gate, which is the gospel that we enter into in knowing Christ as our Savior and walking with him. But there is a broad way that leads to destruction. And many of those who are on it, have listened to Jesus' teachings, but have not lived by it, have not trusted him as their Savior, still trusting in their own righteousness, still trusting in their own good works, maybe trusting in their church attendance or the fact that their grandfather built that church. That's why I need to warn you of this. Build your life on good intentions and expect devastation. Build your life on good intentions and expect devastation. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So the Sea of Galilee was just down the the hillside from where Jesus is teaching this. And and that sandy shore around the Sea of Galilee, no one that's listening to Jesus would ever have considered building their house on that sandy shore, right? Just as if you go to the beach, if you see somebody out there like, like, uh, putting up two by four walls on the beach and, and, uh, you know, you talk to them and they're like, yep, I'm finally getting my beach house. And you're like, you know what, the tide's coming in pretty soon. You're going to have your beach house for about 10 hours. No one would have considered building their house on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, just as we wouldn't consider building it on any sandy shore. 
when, when he says great was the fall of that house, the root word for this great is mega. That's the Greek, mega. So you learned a Greek word here to, this morning, right? Well, you're familiar with that, right? Here it's used to re- referring to the intensity, the degree of the destruction. Violent destruction is what's described here. Those who think that they can pick and choose parts of Jesus, um, that the parts that they are interested in are are in for a total collapse. Hopefully, they will experience a total collapse in this life, and they will realize, you know what? My material goods, they're not worth it. The money I have, they're not worth it. My good looks, uh, the way I can attract people to myself, it just doesn't work. Hopefully, they will experience that in this life, and it, and it will lead them into a relationship with God so that their eternity can be rock solid. The judgment seat of Christ is definitely the context here, as I mentioned. We've all experienced the ruin of our dreams, the ruin of our plans, our sense of security, or our self-image. Our pride gets revealed. Our sin brings us down off a pedestal, or our anger ruins our relationships. And maybe we've learned the lesson that a gospel relationship with God is the only thing that's going to weather the storm. The great hope is that the torrents of life will show the shifting sands that we might have built our house on. The best result is that we place our total trust in Christ and don't experience a total eternal collapse. So we understand from what Jesus tells us here, Jesus is simply proclaim, um, just as simply proclaiming Jesus to be Lord doesn't mean that we know him as our Savior and Lord, what we looked at last week. Hearing God's truth and, and agreeing with it even is not evidence of saving knowledge of Christ. Many of you might have those friends, those family members that you've been concerned about a relationship with the Lord because you're looking at their life and you're like, God can't be telling them to live this way. And if you bring it up to them, maybe their response is, well, I still believe. I still believe in God. I know about Jesus. I prayed that prayer. I got baptized. What Jesus is saying here um, should confirm your concern for that friend or family member. Because none of those things, you know, just giving mental agreement or praying that prayer or getting baptized, none of those things guarantee a relationship with Christ. And that's what matters. And just as a house is ultimately tested by the worst of conditions, our relationship with God is tested by the harsh conditions of life and ultimately tested by God's judgment. And what we thought was a good life to crumble greatly before God's judgment means spending eternity in a state of intense, devastating separation from God in hell. That's what Jesus is warning of here. The Leaning Tower of Pisa, it is certainly a successful tourist attraction, right? Uh, anybody that goes there, they, they've got pictures of you know, themselves uh, in front of it. They want to have proof of that, I guess. And, uh, but it was built as a bell tower for the city cathedral of Pisa. And, and it did eventually function in that way long after it was begun. You know, 
uh, once it started leaning, the engineering marvel of it was to actually be able to keep constructing it in the shape that it was in. And eventually, long after the plan, they did install these huge bells, but, you know, those bells couldn't ring for as long as they wanted them to because eventually the decision had to be made. Ringing these bells is making the problem worse. So the sad thing is, is as, as amazing a tourist attraction it is, it can't do, it can't function with the purpose that it was made for, all because it was built on a poor foundation. You know, other than sandcastles and movie sets, no one builds a house for the purpose of watching it crumble. A poor foundation will result in exactly that. In the same way that the Leaning Tower of Pisa no, can, cannot function for what it was built for. If we don't put our trust in Savior, uh, in Christ as our Savior, if we do not rest in Him for our salvation, we cannot enjoy what we were made for. If we were made to walk with God, we were made to know our Creator. We were made to know Him for all of eternity. You know why I believe we will we'll be with God for all of eternity? It's going to take eternity for us to know Him. For the infinite God to reveal himself to us will take eternity. That's what we were made for. You know, there's a saying, the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's what Jesus is saying here. You might be listening to me. You might be saying, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust him for that one day. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my rest in, in God. I, I'm going to stop trying to just be self-righteous enough. Or I'm going to stop thinking that, well, I'm not like those Gentiles, so I'm pretty good. Or, uh, you know, I keep the law pretty well. He's saying, you might be listening to me and nodding your heads, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Truly trust me as your Savior. Truly trust me that in order to meet these standards of the kingdom, you need Christ's righteousness to account to, to, to be credited to your account. Build your life on Christian good intentions and you can expect eternal devastation. The crowd's response to Jesus' teaching should give us reason to listen even more closely to him. We read uh, in verses 28 through 29, and I want to encourage you from them. Build your life on the authority of Jesus. We read, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowd, when it says the crowds were astonished, this means to be filled with amazement to the point of being overwhelmed. Right? This is like the Fred Sanford you know, grabbing the, the chest and stepping backwards, they were just like, we cannot believe we are overwhelmed with this man's authority as he teaches. Jesus' te his teachings are totally different than the scribes who would quote from rabbis or quote from traditions or say, well, my interpretation of the law is this. Jesus would drop a truth 
starting out with saying, uh, truly, truly. And a friend of mine and I were discussing this recently and, and pointing out the idea, uh, understanding that Jesus, by saying truly, truly, he's like, I don't care what you've heard before now. I am about to tell you absolute truth that you can take to the bank. Jesus would state a truth as the absolute fact, drop the mic, and walk off. You know, um, I was talking with uh, some other friends recently about how amazing it is. We were talking about kind of some local false teachers, if you will. I won't, I won't go into who we were talking about and things. And they were saying, man, your message on false teachers and what to watch out for, it's crazy that Jesus told us this 2,000 years ago and it still rings true. That we can still guide our lives by his teaching, by what he tells us. And the reason for that is he has authority. He has authority that's timeless. He has authority that, that, that covers me and covers you. And, and any time that I might teach something in Christ's name or in, in, in saying that this is God's truth, and you look at his truth and you're like, I'm not sure that fits, I encourage you to come and let me know. Because only what I speak on from the authority of what God truly says is anything that you should listen to. Jesus tells us that his followers aren't going to become, they're not going to be among the majority. This is a narrow way, uh, a narrow way that few are those who find it, if you recall that. So what's popular is not a good test of what's true. Jesus tells us that many will claim him as Lord, but be cast away from him. And what he's saying is, talk is cheap. At the close of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus left the crowd amazed and overwhelmed. They were astonished with the authority that he was exercising in his teaching. His statements not only made sense, Jesus was communicating the very will of God. What I mean is he was communicating the very truth that everyone needs to embrace if they are to walk with God as their Savior. Jesus himself must be embraced if you are to know God as your Father rather than as your judge. Every person on this earth or who has ever lived either has a relationship with God as their judge or as their father. And Jesus is saying, my teachings are what you need to move from one to the other. You know, everything um, that is built these days, I, I remember like when we, when we had... Uh, the drainage um, area, catch basin, and um, drain tile put in at the end of the, of the parking lot here. It had to go through engineering. It, and, you know, any sort of construction process like a bridge or a building or, or um, even a remodel some of, of, a, of a commercial building, you got to get plans from the engineers. And hopefully, you know, there's some engineers that are better than others, I'm sure. 
But hopefully those engineers, everything is working according, they, they make sure that, that everything is in accordance with the laws of science, like how things are actually going to work here. The right materials are being used for the right application, that, that there's not going to be any bad interactions between materials that are in contact with each other through that process. And then that engineering comes to the construction crew, and they're supposed to work by those standards and by those details. And the work should last well beyond the intended period of time. That's another thing that engineers know about. How long should this, should this be able to stay in this way? Jesus is the engineer, not just of salvation, but for all of life. This is what Paul tells us in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. God did not just choose to give Jesus authority. And that Jesus got to come down to earth and just, you know, wing that authority around wherever he went and hold it over people's heads. Jesus is the very authority by which and for which everything has been created. He is the very authority by which and for which you were created for. Embrace him as that. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You know, as we close our time with communion, I want to share with you an example of an amazing truth that Jesus taught. He told his followers that he had actually replaced the old covenant. I mean, he's talking about this um, after the Jewish people have been, I'm doing math here, um, for at least 1,600 years. They had been following the Old Testament law. They had been, had been um, working by this covenant that God had made with them uh, through the leadership of Moses, we call it the Mosaic Law, the, the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant. And, and at that time, when the Mosaic Covenant was established, you can read in Exodus 24, verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered and with one voice and said, all the words of the Lord that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then in verse 8 of Exodus 24, this doesn't sound very appealing, but it says, And Moses took the blood uh, of, the, of the sacrifice of the old covenant in this, in this covenant ceremony. It says, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This was the official inauguration of the Old Testament covenant. That Israel then, it was the, the basis of Israel's relationship with God from that point forward. So in the upper room, 
This is how significant it is that Jesus says with authority regarding his body and his blood. Or you can read in Matthew 26. Uh, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Romans 3 tells us that the old covenant allowed for God to pass over former sins. Pass over those sins with the intention that those sins were going to be paid. The penalty of those sins were finally going to be paid by the Messiah. Jesus' blood, as well as paying for those sins that had been passed over, provided for the forgiveness of sins, finally. This is the, the God for whom and through him all things were made, saying with authority, the old covenant is over. The new covenant has begun. The new covenant that is no longer in the blood of animals, the new covenant that is in the cup that represents my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So as we celebrate communion here this morning, we come to it with confidence because Jesus has told us that we can. And we encourage you, we, we, we um, practice open communion here at Harvest. And what that means is um, we don't need to give you approval beforehand. Um, if you know Christ as your Savior and you are assured of that, we invite you to come to these tables. We invite you to take of the fruit of the vine. We invite you to take of that bread. We invite you to be bold and recognize Jesus broke his body, allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be shed so that I could be forgiven. So that I could know God as my father rather than my judge. And we invite you to do that here this morning. As the worship team will play through two songs for us during that time. As you as you individually or as households feel led. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, thank you for your authoritative truth. Thank you for your boldness in what you've taught. Thank you, Lord, that while it's not right for us to claim to be the authority, it's not right for us to claim to be the the one for whom other people should be living because we're not God. Thank you that you did not and do not shrink back. And thank you yet, Lord, that your heart is gentle and lowly with us in our sin. 
Thank you that we can be looked at, even our sinful condition, Father, through the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this time of communion would be a reminder, would be a remembrance of what you have purchased for us. And Lord, maybe for some, it might be the first time that in total trust and faith, they recognize no more needs to be done for their forgiveness. But it all fell on Christ. We thank you for giving us this to practice as a reminder. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.